Hi, I'm Jack Cush with RoomNow.com. It is November 10th, 2023, and ACR Convergence 2023 starts today, officially. Today, Friday, there is a great review course that many of you are attending. I would highly recommend that. It's always a big hit. A bunch of my colleagues and friends always go to it and are currently there actively tweeting. Uh, so you can follow what's happening at the review course by watching the Twitter feed. I want to um, cover the news from this past week and end this podcast with a bit of a preview of what we're going to do at ACR 2023. Uh, I've sort of given you a preview along the week if you've been following the QD clinics, those case presentations that I do with a little bit of a tidbit at the end of each one. I think you'll find that interesting. But let's get into the news uh, from the past week on the website. Uh, I found interesting a yet another Medscape survey there. Do, they do these great surveys of physicians and where we stand emotionally, financially. Um, a lot of things that I think are interesting to all of us. This particular one just came out in October uh, and it's uh, focused on women in medicine. It's a female compensation survey. does look into a lot of issues. I tweeted what I thought was an interesting reflection of where um, female physicians are uh, in the workplace right now. When they asked the question, um, given the specialty, specialty you're in, uh, would you again choose to go into that specialty? Sort of an endorsement of whether you're happy or not happy. And the top five on the list were, in order, number one, cardiology, 82%, affirming they would go back into cardiology. Next, dermatology, also 82%. Psychiatry, psychiatry 81%. Allergy, immunology, 80%. Neurology, 79%. And rheumatology, 78%. Interestingly, um, all of those are cognitive specialties. And with the exception of cardiology and dermatology who get a financial bump from a procedure that they do, um, uh, the others are pretty much what we do in rheumatology. I find that really interesting. Um, a follow-up study of the main Ritson study, it's the maintenance of remission with rituximab in patients with systemic uh, ANCA-associated vasculitis showed that um, when it comes to preventing major relapses, um, a fixed schedule of rituximab infusion was superior to um, tailored or on-demand rituxan, um, and that tailored or on-demand was, was associated with more relapses, almost threefold higher risk of relapses. So a fixed schedule of rituximab, and I, when I'm doing this in patients with GPA, for instance, I usually am doing... Um, after a full loading dose, I like to do a uh, 500 or 1,000 milligram dose given every six months, and that's it. I'm done. I don't do two infusions, whatever. But being on a fixed regimen of people who are uh, uh, well uh, established and stable and doing well, um, that is the way to go. Uh, there was a nice review of... Uh, the risk of non-melanomatous skin cancer. That basically means skin cancer, both basal and squamous cell cancers. Um, you know, it's a, it's a bit of noise when you look at safety uh, events coming out of new th drug therapies or studies of RA and safety. 
uh, and cancer. Um, one of the cancers that is frequently seen and in association with RA and is therefore related to RA activity and not the drugs is skin cancer. Um, and that's a certainty for non-melanoma skin cancer, not so much at all for melanoma, although that's the one we worry about. But there is this curious association. The more active you are with RA, the more likely you are to get skin cancer. The more active you are with RA, the more likely you are to get biologics. Are biologics therefore responsible for non-melanoma skin cancer? Well, this particular analysis of 49,000 patients in all kinds of studies looked at the risk of a non-melanoma skin cancer uh, in patients with abatacept. So in uh, the RCTs, drug development RCTs, the risk of non-melanoma skin cancer was the same between abatacept and placebo. In registries and claims, it was also uh, shown to be the same where the risk was equal between abatacept, conventional DMARDs, and biologic and targeted synthetic DMARDs. However, um, pooled observational data showed a slightly increased risk. So what are you going to think? You can think whatever you want. I'm telling you what I think. I think that there's no association with the drugs and a clear association with the disease. That's how I take it. And by the way, the ACR guideline on treating your patients who have a solid tumor says treat the patient with a solid tumor as if they didn't have the tumor, meaning use whatever therapy you want to use. Solid tumors include skin cancers. All right. Again, these are hard issues that we all have to deal with. I probably get more questions on drug management around this issue of cancer. Um, a UK biobank association, uh, a biobank study showed a bi-directional association, isn't that confusing, between rheumatoid arthritis and interstitial lung disease. I'm sorry, between rheumatoid arthritis and COPD. Meaning that if you have RA, you are at slightly higher risk of COPD. And it's statistically significant. Clinically meaningful? Hmm, I don't know. If you have COPD but not RA, you're at a slightly higher risk of developing RA. The bottom line is the inflammation of either leads to an increased risk of the either. That sounds like a good turn of a phrase. I'm not sure it was good English. So RA increased the risk of COPD um, 65% in non-RA patients. Um, COPD risk, uh, increased the risk of RA in, um, in um, I think I got that backwards. RA increased the risk of COPD in non-COPD patients. COPD increased the risk of RA in non-RA patients, both increasing the risk 65 to 67%. Uh, there is this association between anakinra uh, and, and also maybe the IL-6 inhibitors and um, this lung disease that is a, a rare complication of systemic JIA Stills disease. Previous reports suggest that that might be addressed or um, allergic type of manifestation, delayed type allergy in patients with a certain HLA DR beta 1 haplotype, DR beta 115. Um, and in this study, which was a fairly good sized study, multi centers and large number of patients, 
they didn't show that um, anakinra, when used in systemic JAA, increased the odds of having this um, lung disease ensue uh, or any type of delayed allergic reactions. Uh, so neither HLA haplotype or IL-1 RN variants were predictive in these patients, yet they did show Anakinra, when used as first-line therapy, as it was in the study, was used in 60 out of 65 patients as first-line therapy. It was highly effective, and that is in, uh, in line with the current ACR and ULR guidelines on the treatment of Stills disease patients, whether it be in children or adults. Uh, again, if interested in this subject, there's also another good review of systemic therapies. I believe it's in Nature, uh, using IL-1 and IL-6 inhibitors in stills and also how to best manage macrophage activation syndrome and this rare lung disease. Uh, and it does consider new therapies like JAK inhibitors and IL-18 inhibitors in, um, and other biomarkers in the management uh, of these patients going forward. Uh, a drug we don't use but was approved, I believe, for myasthenia gravis last year, a Lancet report says that Fgartamod, uh, a neonatal FC receptor monoclonal antibody, is, is approved for use in myasthenia gravis. But this uh, pilot study in 205 patients with refractory ITP shows that it was effective compared to placebo in managing patients with chronic ITP. I think they had to have failed other biologic therapies. They had to have a platelet count of greater than 30,000. They had, on average, I think over 10 years of disease activity, uh, and they were treated with this neonatal FC receptor antibody uh, and a 24 weeks um, improvement. The primary endpoint being platelets greater than 50K was seen in 22% on the active drug and 6% on placebo. That's a four-fold greater response. But you got to admit, that's not a big-time response in chronic ITP. Now, these patients are difficult to treat, and they're already refractory to other biologics. So it might be a very difficult subset. There is a much larger trial in progress, but you should know that there is more out there in the treat of, treatment of chronic ITP than rituximab and B-cell um, monoclonal antibodies. Uh, a report from a recent uh, American Heart Association meeting, the annual cardiology meeting, suggests that regular users of marijuana are at higher risk for both myocardial infarction and cerebrovascular accidents. This was come from a database of patients who were hospitalized, and they looked at the incidence of marijuana use uh, in people who were hospitalized, and they found that it did um, make it 34 more likely that they would develop uh, heart failure and cardiac complications. But again, it isn't a subset of people who are hospitalized. So uh, and you have to say that, you know, there may be a, a, a small Achilles heel to the, the, the abundant availability of marijuana in the general population. And lastly, I like this report from Robert Landaway and a lot of other people. Uh, it's a retrospective study looking at um, it looks like um, over 700 patients referred for new onset arthritis, presumed or suspected RA. They did serologies, clinical assessments, and x-rays. The take-home from this retrospective analysis was that there really is little or no value to doing initial x-rays. 
And you would do that, why? Well, to help establish a diagnosis. What they found is that only 4% or 32 patients out of their 724 had evidence of RA-like erosions. And that erosions that either led to a new diagnosis or a change in prognostic classification was like less than a half a percent. So x-rays themselves are a very, uh, abnormalities are a very low prevalence and have very little predictive value. Uh, I think x-rays can be done in a new diagnosed RA patient for staging and to get an initial baseline assessment. But this is like a patient who shows up in the emergency room with knee pain or elbow pain without any history of trauma. Um, Doing an x-ray is kind of silly. I mean, you do an x-ray to find an actual bony abnormality, meaning fracture or some sort of displacement. And, and if you're looking for soft tissue injury, x-ray is not the way to go. You do an MR or CT. Anyway, so that's it for the news this week. I wanted to uh, review with you the things that you can look at um, if you want to follow the ACR from afar or review what you're doing on your own in San Diego at the meeting. I can't recommend highly enough to watch our daily emails. We do send twice daily emails beginning on Sunday. There'll be a morning email and an evening email, and they'll be different as far as the the things that we're rolling out. And we're trying to be selective about what we put in front of you. If you were to attend one thing with the least amount of engagement to learn something from the meeting, I would suggest you tune in every day starting Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, day one, two, three, and four, where the faculty that is covering the meeting for Room Now will get together and give you their best thing they saw that day from the plenary sessions, from the concurrent sessions, from the poster floor. And we'll have a discussion about that. These will be roughly 20 to 30 minute uh, videos and or podcasts. It's going to be live streamed at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern time every day. So if you tune in, you'll get the daily recap and you'll get a good feel for what's happening at the meeting. That would be in addition to reading the articles that I'll write, the day one report. I'll write another report every day called ACR Best uh, um, Posters, where the faculty is choosing what they think are the best posters of the day. Um, and then the other thing I think you can follow if you got a little bit more time would be to look at the daily videos that our faculty puts up, and then we compile them into a daily podcast usually part one, part two, from day one, day two, day three, day four. And you can listen to that when you're running or driving to work. Um, Look for the many good articles. We'll publish about 50, 60 articles from the faculty, what they thought were great sessions or great new teaching points and advances, again, from the highlight sessions. Um, And then lastly, if you really want to learn about your topic, you're you're a lupus gal, you're a vasculitis guy, you're a a, a um, rheumatoid-focused fellow, um, sign up uh, on Room Now and in your registration page, sign up for the uh, topic emails. If you sign up for the lupus, RA, spa, gout, IL-17, TNF, you'll get a weekly email every Monday. So you'll get the beginning of ACR this next Monday. You'll get the full ACR the following Monday, and it'll just be a rundown, and it'll tell you what you missed for your topic. In addition, we'll have a number of different topic podcasts that will be put out there for you. Lastly, next Friday, a week from today, 
Um, you can tune into the Rheumatology Roundup. Dr. Artie Cavanaugh and I will be reviewing our highlights of the, of the meeting, usually 15 to 16, of what we thought was neat and cool and not the most popular stuff, to be honest with you, but we thought was really well presented, often by fellows and young uh, researchers. Um, I think you'll find that enjoyable. It's an hour-long show. It's going to also be live-streamed. On, and when the live stream stuff happens, which is the daily recaps, I said at 6 p.m. Pacific, and then there's Rheumatology Roundup, which is next Friday at 12 p.m. Pacific, um, that would make it 3 p.m. Eastern, that you can watch the live streams on the Room Now website, on our YouTube channel, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and also on face, uh, Facebook. And then, of course, the um, meeting will wrap up next Friday after the Rheumatology Roundup where I'll do the weekly podcast and I'll just give you my take of meeting highlights that I didn't cover with uh, Dr. Kavanaugh in the Rheumatology Roundup. Hope you're going to enjoy and learn lots from this meeting. It's going to be a good one. We'll talk soon.